listening to I Might Be Wrong, a podcast hosted by myself, Rich Needham, and my co-host, Henry Salmon. Welcome! You're listening to I Might Be Wrong. I am Rich. I've got Henry with me. Hello, Rich. I'm slightly regretting our previous chats where I've said that the sun is always shining on our podcast because it's pissing it down again. So, (laughs) uh, yeah, what can I say? I apologise to the great British public and to all of those in the world who are getting rained on because it's probably me yeah should we get on with it yeah onwards onwards to a selection from you this week and yes. you have chosen not not a guitar band chosen not a guitar <laughs> band who have you picked i've gone with zero seven and their debut album which i absolutely love it's one from just after the turn of the millennium and one that kept me company through university. Uh, I'm I'm a big fan of it. You should probably say what the album title is. Yeah, I probably should. You're right. It is Simple Things. I should say things about Zero Seven as well, shouldn't I? Yeah. Who are they? Where are they from? What do they do? So Zero Seven are an English musical duo, which I think is a reasonably good way to describe them because they're a little bit one of those not specific to a genre type of artists. They are Henry Binns and Sam Hardacre, who began their musical careers as studio engineers at RAK Studios, Rack Studios. They were there with Nigel Godrich, who we've mentioned on Radiohead episodes. Turns out they were friends at school with him. Ah, I didn't know that. That's a good fact. Yeah, they did a lot of work on British groups that were around in the kind of late 90s, mid to late 90s, early thousands. So Pet Shop Boys, Young Disciples, Robert Plant. So not small names. No, big names. I mean, those are actually in the 90s for kind of British pop music. That's kind of almost top of the tree stuff, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. They obviously met before then and had bonded over mutual musical passion. So... Hardacre tells a story about Henry coming up to him in the street and having headphones with big orange foam on them. And he was like, hey, listen to this. And he was playing me some old soul tunes, something I'd never heard that I really liked. And then we started talking about music. And then we started hanging out through both being interested in music, which I think is something that you and I, it's something that we can both relate to. Yeah, absolutely. And... They obviously became firm friends over that, spent time working in that studio. The name Zero Seven apparently comes from time spent on the Honduran island Utila, which contained a bar named Cerro Siete, which obviously is Zero Seven in Spanish. Yeah, I I actually saw that uh, and I thought, I'm not going to stop there because that's just not enough for me. I need to find out whether that bar still exists. Um, <laughs> Does and, it? I, and I checked, and it doesn't. Aww. I found some really kind of obscure forum on the edge of the internet, which was saying that, was someone asking about that back in 2007? And it's it's called the Bundu Bar now. So if any of you in, are in Honduras, or our Honduran listeners are wondering about their claim to fame, then the bar doesn't exist where they were. Sad times. After returning to the UK, they were asked by Radiohead to remix Climbing Up the Walls, which is something that Bins has described as the mother of all lucky breaks. They'd obviously been doing a bit of remixing before then, but that was the first time they referred to the Zero Seven mix in anything, and that's when the name just stuck. Yeah, I saw that comment. I haven't heard the remix, have you? 
I went and had a listen to it specifically because of this, and uh-huh. it's interesting. I don't know that it's something I'd listen to a lot, but you can hear both climbing up the walls and a zero seven sound coming through, which doesn't sound like it should work. And I'm not entirely sure that it does, <laughs> but it got them a lot of attention. A lot of people clearly did like it. Yeah. I think the problem I have is that I've listened to zero seven and Radiohead so much over the years that this wasn't my first exposure to that sound of theirs. Yeah. And so to me, it just sounds like somebody's put two things on the radio at the same time and accidentally mixed them. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. But their their influences are interesting because when they were growing up, so Binz has talked about being a huge Ray Charles fan. He loved soul. He loved blues vocalists. And then in their late teens and early 20s, they got into hip hop and house music and then folk and jazz. So there's there's all these disparate sounds coming in. And you and I both have pretty varied tastes in music these days. So we can understand that. But you can hear a lot of those different things coming in and particularly that old school rhythm and blues thing that sits in the background of a lot of their music even if it's not that specific sound that they're creating themselves yeah and to their credit with a list of types of sounds a list of genres like that you could end up with a bit of a dog's dinner of a sound but their sound is quite distinctive and it is quite quite simple i guess which matches the album title it is simple but it's also layered it sounds very elegant it sounds like it's a very simple style but there's a lot of layering and a lot of things going on that are very cleverly put in there in a way that makes it sound effortless and we should talk about what they sound like if you liked our air moon safari episode and you haven't heard of zero seven you should go and listen to zero seven because one of the biggest accusations aimed at zero seven is that they sound like air yeah uh, and are they a budget air are they a ripoff <laughs> are they just following in their footsteps um what do you think because i think it's a fair accusation and if i were to have to pick one of the two i would pick air every time what do you think about that it is a fair accusation they do sound an awful lot like air i think part of the problem is that air defined a genre all of their own and no one else really sounds even vaguely like air so anyone that sounds sort of like air will immediately get accused of ripping off air i don't know i mean we'll come on to critical reception a bit later i think and talk about it there because you and I are both aware that while there was some positivity, there was also not 100% agreement on whether they were good or not, or whether this album was good. Uh, we should talk about the collaborators, though, because part of what makes them separate to air is the vocals on this album are not theirs. They've, they've brought in vocalists to work on this stuff. Yeah, they do this quite a lot, actually. So not just this album, but following ones, they do have collaborators Um and I think, well, you're probably obviously going to start with Sia as the, um, <laughs> yeah. the the main voice of Zero Seven. And in some ways, she elevates this music to something so much better. And I think that's for those in the pro Zero Seven camp, having her on the on the album makes the difference. I think. Right, people who haven't heard of Sia, she is pretty famous these days. So. 
where she really started to pick up fame was she had a track called Elastic Heart, which was on Hunger Games Catching Fire on the soundtrack. And that really skyrocketed her to fame. And then her sixth studio album, so she'd already been releasing a lot of albums without that much acclaim. Maybe her fifth got some attention. Her sixth studio album was A Thousand Forms of Fear, which debuted at number one in the US a year after that single had come out. She's known for wearing a wig that covers her face and being extremely publicity shy. She loves making music, but seems to hate the attention, which lines up actually with Zero Seven. They're very similar Mm. in that they really don't enjoy any of the fame that comes with it. Their, Their whole thing was they wanted to make music that they wanted to listen to. They didn't expect anyone to actually love it. They thought they'd just be in this tiny niche where a few other people who liked that kind of stuff would would get into them but Sia wasn't famous then Moses and Sophie Barker who are the other two vocalists on here still aren't particularly well known even even though they've done a lot of work on 07 and 07 have become fairly well known over the years the thing is that this album was recorded with almost zero budget, really. They were recording out of hours in the studio that they were working in. They were doing things like using a single violin and creating layers with that rather than a full orchestra because they wanted that orchestral sound in the record. So what do you do in that situation? You're bringing in vocalists who are no-name vocalists who will come in and like the work and will do it, I presume, for a not very much money for the studio vocals or for a split of the profits if they've gone down that route. I don't know what what they actually did for this, but they would not have paid much, if any, money to these guys. Yeah, it's like just bringing in session musicians, isn't it? It's kind of getting in incredibly talented people who are less associated with a band. And the amazing thing is just the the number of them out there. I mean, if you you start going into the the real kind of murky depths of the music industry, there are so many just incredibly talented people floating around who just crop up on album after album and you kind of have to know the industry to work out the regulars and where they keep cropping up because I don't I mean I can read it on the internet and try and hunt down where a person's career's gone but there, there are some super talented people and I think um, as you say Moses and um, Barker and and Sia all together are, do make a, a huge difference to this record. Yeah we should mention a little bit about Uh, Moses and Barker as well because they are like you say talented vocalists Moses whose non-professional name is Osmond Wright is Jamaican born and London based he's a singer songwriter and producer and he's basically the single male vocal on both of the first two 07 albums and his his voice is beautiful I absolutely love it I've I put it in my notes that he has a sumptuous voice which I think is an accurate way to put it there aren't many people that you could label with that and not laugh at it but he does have a sumptuous voice it's a good shout (laughs) and then sophie barker is a british singer and songwriter from london alongside the beautiful vocal work that she did on this album she also co-wrote destiny which i didn't know until i actually read this great song yeah and i didn't know that as well i think it might be one of their best songs it's certainly one of my favorites it's the one that sticks into my head the most mm-hmm. partly because of the lyrics and the, and the singing so yeah good honor and going back to see one of the quotes that i enjoyed from her partly because it says a lot about bins and hardacre is 
the first time I ever met them, I told them I'm tired of working with people who smoke loads of weed and take two weeks to record a drum sound. And they were just like, well, you're in the perfect environment. We like a swift pint now and then, but that's it. We don't drink or smoke while we work. It was a match made in heaven. These guys are professionals. I didn't find any gossipy stories about them. They are guys who have been working in the music industry for a while, producing good stuff, doing remixes, who just wanted to make some extra music that they liked and wanted to listen to. And that's basically it. Yeah, fair play to them. And they never even really considered playing this stuff live. Apparently their first tour was reluctant. Really? Mm-hmm. So it's just a, an interesting project for them. That is... Yep. That's cool. So we've described who they are, what they sound like. How did they get received back in 2001? Because there's a bit of a mix of reviews online. Most of them are positive. Mm -hmm. Some of them are negative. Where where do you stand? Have you got any examples? Well, there was anticipation around this because they'd already released a couple of small EPs worth of work that had got critics excited about it. And I'm bringing it to this podcast. Obviously, I'm with the positive reception the negative that you're talking about is pitchfork what rich will now be doing is muting my sniggers in the background <laughs> and removing them from this um this the, the sound because i'm reading through some of the pitchfork reviews and they're completely laugh out loud funny well the two quotes that i grabbed from this review because i couldn't be bothered to read through all of it was that <laughs> they basically accused this album being a blatant freaking ripoff is the quote of Moon Safari. And they dismissed it for its schmaltzy light R&B crooning. They hated all the vocals. They hated the fact that it sounded like Moon Safari. My interpretation of this review is that this person is a massive air fan who's been told by all of their mates, you have to listen to these guys. They're amazing. They sound just like air. They're really talented. And has just gone, no, they're not as good as air. Air are the band. Air are the band you should listen to. Yeah. I mean, there's a quote that says that they swim in such deeply unfashionable waters that they only have cod for company, cod jazz, cod soul, cod funk. <laughs> so somebody's laying it on thick and don't they go on at the end of the review to say if you're listening to this album what you really should actually be listening to is air Uh, yeah i mean that is in the in the pitchfork review of this they're basically saying you're wasting your time listening to this album go and listen to air instead but having said all of that we've both said this sounds so similar to moon safari that if you're slating this you surely can't in the same breath say moon safari is great because either they're both cod jazz cod whatever or they're both really great pieces of work now the fact that moon safari came first and obviously they get the credit for that that that's why i wanted to do moon safari before we talked about this particular album doesn't mean this is bad it isn't groundbreaking but it's still a great album yeah and that's where i would probably fall so if i was hosting guests and i wanted to put on some music in the background and i had the choice of moon safari or simple things i'd probably pick moon safari but then if i put on simple things afterwards then fine that's cool it'll it'll enhance the mood there was an interesting review i saw actually from someone who was saying that their problem with it was that this album is a like a mood enhancer so if you're already in a cool place and having a good time with friends and you put this on 
it'll make the mood even better. But it's not the kind of album which would catch your eye, like in the same way that some of the albums we talked about have been sonically incredible. And if you were talking with friends and then one of the special albums came on, like Pet Sounds or something, your mind would be drawn to it and you'd think, hang on, what is this? Whereas I think with this, it's almost a kind of, it makes things better, but it won't change your life. Yeah, I can understand uh, that attitude towards it. I think from my perspective, I can happily listen to this album by itself no one around it's an album that i've listened to in chilled out evenings when i've got nothing better to do and i just want to i just want to listen to a really lovely album it's an album that i'll put on late in the evening when i just want to relax and start winding down and go to bed yeah i think part of the problem is that it is immensely easy listening as well as being somewhat brilliant in terms of the complexity and the musicality of the things that are in there yeah and it's an easy target as well. Oh, yeah. Because it's kind of, it's heading towards elevator music. It's kind of, you could accuse it of being middle of the road. I mean, yeah. I, you be careful, uh, mate. Well, <laughs> it kind of is, though. Put it this way, they're a, they're a couple of steps away from it. And if there weren't, wasn't the excellent singing and the really kind of nice, precise music, you could end up with a, with a little bit less skill. They could end up in swimming in those waters with those cod <laughs> but can't but can't you say that of every band you could say that about ok computer if you didn't have the level of skill and complexity in there it would just be a bunch of guys dicking around and having a wank i'm just, I'm just saying they're not that they're, they're a few <laughs> levels closer to that area i don't mm, maybe i mean yes this and radiohead obviously because radiohead are absolutely brilliant but you could say the same thing about moon safari in that case not as many levels <laughs> anyway look, we could go Think on we're gonna have this. to agree to disagree yeah, on that yeah, one exactly but let's let's dive into the um the album itself before you do that i do think there's an element of truth to what you're saying though having having shouted at you for saying it there's a surface level of this that if you don't bother listening to anything beyond that surface that's very easy listening it's easy to have on in the background they never expected to have any level of broad appeal as i've said they thought they'd just end up in a tiny niche where it's them and a few of their mates and a, a few music aficionados that like that specific style that listen to it and that's part of the problem as well is that all of that early critical acclaim that they got apart from pitchfork has sort of gone away they've lost this coolness because it's been shoved into the background of so many mass appeal middle-class TV programs. I mean, they themselves have said, and I quote, middle-class cookery programs, oh God, our songs were on all of them. We never set out to make music to accompany Jamie and Nigella whisking eggs. Sam and I had agonised over the creation of something profound. Well, I'll tell you where that's come from. It's because all of those middle-aged cookery program people that are whisking eggs 20 years ago were in Ibiza sitting on a beach listening to this stuff, chilling out to it. And it was fucking cool back in 2001. And now they've all exactly. got grown up and got kids and cooking shows. And so it's still their soundtrack. But that obviously is going to dent your credibility with the cool crowd. Yeah, it will. Not that I give a shit about that, but you know, that's that's where some of this stuff's gone. True. Cool. So let's, let's dive in yep. to the detail in the album. Would you go straight into track one for a listening experience? Yes, Henry, I absolutely would. Uh, I love the opening track to this album an awful lot. There's 
Baseline. Baseline. Mention the, the baseline. I was gonna <laughs> give me a chance. <laughs> yeah, the opening bass and the drums on this track really lay down what you can expect from them as a kind of musical approach. A lot of people think of this album as electronica, but they're way more of a crossover than that. If you actually listen to this in detail, most of the instruments are actual instruments. They're recording stuff specifically. They're not using samples. Yes, there are synths in here, but they're used fairly sparingly in this. I mean, the bass and the strings take the spotlight in this, along with Moses's honeyed vocals. Yeah, yeah, it's... It's a lovely way to introduce an album. I'm a big fan of this one. Yeah, and it's one of a lot of songs that I really like on here. Again, you can accuse this of being a bit samey all the way through, but they pick a style and they mostly stick with it. And there's variations on that style, but it's very similar to what you could expect from something, as we said, like Moon Safari, where you're getting that kind of sound from the album. Yeah, and they do mix up the vocals. So... We've got Moses on this one, but then he doesn't come in for another five tracks after this. Right. Yeah, and the third track is the next time you see vocals, which is where we see both Sia and Sophie Barker, uh, who I think comes in on the chorus of Destiny. As I said before, this is one of my favourite tracks in their back catalogue. The acoustic guitar and the synths on this weave a beautifully sun-saturated feel. This is a glorious sunny day in music form from my perspective. It was a big single, wasn't it? I think this is one of their singles that went out and probably captured... It probably captured my imagination. It was quite a popular one. There are a lot of TV shows, movies that have had 07 tracks on. This is often the track. Yeah, actually, you're right. I hadn't thought about that. But as soon as you said that, that makes sense. I've definitely heard this as a... Well, I was going to say watching cooking programs, but then that kind of shows how uncool I am. So I'll retract that <laughs> statement. I've seen it on some cool things. Uh, you could claim that Lizzie watches the cooking shows and you, you just happen to be in the room at the same time. Yeah, that's what I Forced to watch them. I'm going to jump to Red Dust. Oh, yeah. Good shout. This is another gorgeous summary opening to a track. More acoustic guitar. There's bass in here really sets that tone beautifully. And then this is where I think they start to sound very air-like in particular. So there's the piano, there's the synth that has that kind of whoop, 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 whoop thing that air do. Uh, And there's flute in here as well. This is a really gorgeous track. Maybe that's why we like it so much. It's because it's just more like air. Yeah. One thing I will say is air went away from producing this stuff after that debut album for two or three albums before they came back to it in the the late aughts i think if i'm given a choice of having zero seven as a sort of semi-facsimile of air or nothing like it i would go for the more good music that i like absolutely no that's a that's a very fair argument and i think their later albums do swerve a little bit away from this style yeah have you ever noticed the little sparkly percussion that goes on in the background of this not really not and uh, well i may have done but i can't imagine it right now <laughs> why oh it's just one of those really lovely touches again it's i think when you bring in people who have engineered music and who understand production it's not layered on really thick but there's just these little nice touches that you get in here that you wouldn't necessarily even spot unless you're listening out for them specifically this is something we've gone on about a few times and it's that it's not so much that you 
notice a badly produced album. Most of the albums that we've spoken about have been produced well, but the really well produced albums have these little touches in that you almost have to listen to to notice, but they're always there and they're they're doing stuff in your ears. So that's a fair share. And and you're right, these are two producers who are at the top of their trade. So yeah, and again, like this is a debut album. It's not really when you've already got that much experience, at least from a production perspective. It's not like we're talking about the Arctic Monkeys last week. That first album doesn't have a ton of production value. It doesn't need it and it shouldn't have it. But you can hear that it's a very recorded in someone's shed type approach. I know it's recorded in the studio, but it sounds like a raw and ready thing. Yeah, that makes sense. Where do we go after Red Dust? In the waiting line. Yeah. Has to be done. Has to be done. This is how they got big in the States because it featured on Garden State on the soundtrack there. It's the scene where they're taking a load of drugs, but Zach Braff's character's sort of spaced out and unable to engage. Good point. So it is. Yes. (laughs) I didn't even think it was on Garden State. Yeah. It's one of a lot of very good pieces of music that are on that. That movie has an incredible soundtrack. We, we've mentioned it a few times, actually. Mm-hmm. We do reference it a lot, partly because it's just gold in terms of interesting music. Go and listen to the Garden State soundtrack if you don't don't know it. Yeah. Back to Zero Seven. Any, any more to close the album out? Yeah, I'm going to jump to the end and end theme, which is beautiful string-led track that sounds as much like a contemporary orchestral classical piece of music as a pop song from a pop album yeah it's um another one which just lifts the bar a bit for this album and just slightly takes it out of i was gonna say out of middle of the road territory i'm being harsh again it lifts it further away from middle of the road territory you you are deliberately (laughs) poking the bear aren't you yeah absolutely i'm skirting around the edges on this one dick (laughs) i want to chat about a little bit about their next album as well so when it falls came out in 2004 so this is an album that i loved at university and part of the reason behind that is because i was i say working it wasn't working i was writing reviews for the bristol student paper at the time And this was an album that I got hold of and I gave it probably one of my highest rated reviews of my time there. It's a really great album. It is, I think, pretty much on a par with Simple Things. I wouldn't necessarily call one over the other. Simple Things is the album that I got into them and that's why I've picked it today. I could probably do an entire episode on When It Falls by itself. Yeah, there's no radical change. It's not a huge progression. They've got a similar team involved, I guess. C is still there. Moses is still there. I think Sophie Barker Sophie Bark is still there, yeah. So it's it's a pretty similar setup to the first album. Yes, I do think it has... Uh, well, the first track on the album is called Warm Sound, and I think it's got a warmer sound. It's, it's a big hug of an album, mm-hmm. whereas... Simple Things is more of a chilled out summer day laying on the lawn of an album. Yeah, it's good. I, I like it. And I think it it does establish Zero Seven as as a group who can put together some really good, interesting sounds. And it I think it helps not pigeonhole them in the pigeonhole that I was <laughs> potentially going to pigeonhole them in. <laughs> well, I think it, it's, again... You, 
you're right it's an evolution of the previous album more than something completely different but it's it almost feels like taking on that mantle of that sort of chill out sound that aired you know they'd started that journey and then buggered off to doing completely different things yeah zero seven have sort of carried on in in that vein and evolved it again and done something similar but different enough and also in my mind this shows that that first album wasn't a one-off they can write this really beautiful very relaxing very enjoyable music apparently they have massive writer's block because they were so stressed out from the pressure of the first album they hadn't been able to create anything while they were on tour because the nature of how they were producing this music meant that they couldn't bins apparently had massive writer's block but i i think it's i think it's a great album and i think i guess having the same collaborators again probably helps bring some level of comfort to that for yep. them any tracks to call out uh warm sound yep i love the fuzzy electronics and mixing that with beautiful live instruments it's a little bit more opposed in terms of sound rather than stuff just being very all in sync which you get in the first album Uh, it's a little bit psychedelic maybe passing by i love who am i to make a judgment on your life i'm only passing by passing by if only people could deal with social media in that way Uh, yes if only uh yeah i'm not going to go into loads of detail because like i say i could comfortably do an entire episode on this by itself I, i bought the garden the following album Oh, really? I didn't get into that. I didn't really listen to it. How is it? What do you think of it? Uh, it's it's good. I, I bought it because it's got Jose Gonzalez on the first track because I quite <laughs> liked Jose Gonzalez back then. Right. He's on a lot of it. He appears quite a bit. Yep. Good few tracks. Although, weirdly, the, the songs that I really like aren't his. There are some quite quirky songs like The Pageant of the Bazaar and Waiting to Die, which are just a little bit more offbeat, a little bit more kind of curious i guess mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's a, a revelation it's not them kind of totally disappearing away from the zero seven vibe but they're, they're songs that i like and it's a it's an album i'll pop on every now and then but um again it's no no groundbreaking record i think again a lot of this maybe the later albums have a little bit more quirkiness and weirdness because they've gone back to making albums that they just want to have for themselves and not worrying so much about, oh, crap, we've got to follow up a successful album. Yeah, yeah, fair. What about live? Ever bumped into them at a festival? I have. Uh, they were late afternoon. God, I can't even remember whether it was Isla White or Reading Leeds. Anyway, they, they were lovely, very relaxing, nothing different to how you'd expect. They are... They're more energetic on stage. They bring some energy and they they do the big kind of electronic light show thing very well. They're more showman than you'd expect, I think. Really? So kind of, I was going to take the piss and say that they'd never headline a big festival, but it sounds like they're not a completely lie on your back and look at the sky while they play some music band. I mean, that's what I did. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because it was lovely. It was one of those lovely, relaxing, hot, sunny days that you can just do that and why would you not yeah cool so yeah i didn't watch an awful lot of what they were doing i just enjoyed those sounds coming in over over the fields at me makes sense yeah I, i've never seen them but i was probably 
want to experience them in exactly the same way that they're kind of made for that aren't they so yeah the only venues that i would want to see them in are either in a big field for a festival or in somewhere like the royal albert hall yeah if they had like a massive orchestral thing going on at one of those that would be awesome yeah my my only real memory of them experiencing them elsewhere is being incredibly hungover on a cliff in Ibiza <laughs> looking out to sea okay. in, in and they were playing in the background and it was absolutely lovely but um they kind of balanced the hangover situation brilliantly and, and nice. made the day but um yeah I, I've never seen them live but I've, I think you're right sit in a field and listen they haven't released an album since 2012 so I'm, I'm not sure they're really doing that stuff anymore obviously they had careers as producers before doing this and so as far as i can tell they've gone back to that life and rounding it out what about influences i mean i'm going there again that the whole air thing is probably more where you've been influenced i would have thought and these are kind of on their coattails well actually it's a bit of a circular thing Uh, i actually think i mentioned this during the air episode which is i'd heard air was intrigued but didn't really understand them and then during university years got into Zero Seven and that brought me back round to listening to Moon Safari again. Got it. So in a way they they helped cement my love of Moon Safari. Fair. That's a that's a nice way of putting it. But yeah, they all sort of sit in that three albums as a chunk of what I will go and listen to if I want something that's relaxing and chilled out and just to kind of float away with the music. Yeah, no, that's cool. How about you? No, no, not really. I'm not really a kind of big fan of this type of music. I like it when a, when a good album like this comes along mm-hmm. and I'll store it in my head for those days where I need that kind of music. So moon safari we talked about simple things they're kind of they're they're pretty classic like maybe a bit of lemon jelly something nice and simple that you can just whack on in the the background but i haven't really explored this genre maybe i should but no it's not one that i've really dug into stick them on with a big big pair of high quality headphones and see what you think with that because i think as i've said already in this episode i think a lot of people lose the depth of and not just this moon safari as well because they're not really listening yeah okay maybe you know what i'm going to leave you with a a pitchfork quote just to try (laughs) and round this off and this review says for a short spell back in 2001 zero seven was a three-legged chihuahua that had just won a dog show and that endeared me to them now if (laughs) that's not a backhanded compliment i don't know what is but uh i think that I've, I've needled at you in this one, but I think that's probably harsh. I think that Simple Things is a very good album and um, I think it definitely deserves its place on I Might Be Wrong. So it's a very good shout. Your final thoughts, apart from <laughs> telling me to jump? Uh, yeah, apart from being irritated in your general direction. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's an album that I absolutely love. It's an album that's soundtracked chunks of my life, whether it's sitting out in fields or at your house having dinner with you and your lovely wife it's never gonna change anyone's life but it can certainly make it more enjoyable yeah absolutely i'm gonna agree to agree on this one i think you've nailed it with that i think it's uh definitely a keeper and if you don't know it whack it on listen to it just wait for the sun to come out if it ever does yeah maybe wait until it's actually a nice sunny day and you're sitting in the garden you want some music on stick this on perfect 
All right. I'd say thanks for joining me, Henry, but no, not today. You've been a pain in the <laughs> ass. Thank you, lovely listeners, for joining yes. us and listening in. I'm sure some of you will probably tell Henry that he's right. Some of you will tell me that I'm right. I think we'll be a little bit split on this one, but that's fine. Cool. Cheers, buddy. Take, take it easy. Cheers, everyone. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of I Might Be Wrong.